Good evening. It is good to see each of you if you're a guest. It's so good to have you with us. If you would be open your Bibles to the book of Romans, the first chapter. We'll be studying the first few verses and then we'll look at some other passages. And in the Bible that is in the pew there, if you want to turn and use it, it'll be 999 will be the page there uh, in that Bible that is in the pews. We want to give you an update from an announcement that's in the bulletin. The room number has changed. Tim Martin's class on Wednesday evening that he teaches is the Kingdom's class, and it will be meeting this Wednesday evening in the fellowship room, the upper fellowship room. Uh, so be sure and make note of that. Contrary to what is in uh, the bulletin, remember that it will be up here in the upper fellowship room. That's a tremendous class. If you don't have a class yet on Wednesday evening, we would encourage you to check that class out or get a schedule and check out any of the classes. But what we just want to really encourage you to do is come in the middle of the week and let's study the Bible together. That is a rich, rich blessing that God gives us here to be able to come and be together, but then to be together studying God's Word. And it really makes a difference in our spiritual growth and development. And so we want to encourage you to take part in that. Tonight we're studying out of the book of Romans. The book of Romans is no simple study. Robert Whiteside wrote a very brief but scholarly commentary on the book of Romans. The introduction of this commentary written by three brethren who also were scholars opens with these two lines. A noted scholar once remarked that the book of Romans was the profoundest production in all literature. Shallow minds and superficial treatment certainly cannot do justice to such an amazing and enduring discussion of redemption from sin as Paul has written in this famous epistle. It truly is a deep and beautiful book. Why is it deep? I want to suggest to you that one reason that the book of Romans is deep, that any topic Paul writes about in the book of Romans, he does not write about it from the standpoint of just us. Practicality. How do we live it? How does it apply to us? Although to some degree, and in like Romans 12, even to more degree, he does do that from time to time. But the reason it is such a deep book is that because every topic he dwells upon, he dwells upon it as it relates to God as well as to man. Let me give you a couple of reasons and examples here, or explanations and examples. I can't speak for Paul or God and give you reasons. The word God is in the book of Romans once every 46 words upon average. That is far more, far, far more than any other book in the New Testament. In other words, God is spoken about and what he has done or what he is doing is spoken about more often, perhaps we could argue, than any other book in the Bible. Let me give you a, a, a second place, but it's not a close second. God is mentioned many times. The name God is mentioned many times in the book of Acts. But still, it's only once every 110 words. Let me run some phrases by you that note they are topics that hopefully we're familiar with, but notice how they're always spoken about how God is involved in them. The power of God. The wrath of God. The judgment of God. 
the righteousness of God, the promise of God, the grace of God, the law of God, the children of God, the goodness and severity of God, the will of God, the glory of God, ministers of God, and that's just to name a few. All of those topics are discussed in Romans as to how God is involved in them. And so tonight, we study right out of the beginning of the book where he talks about the called of, and he doesn't in this particular phrase mention God, but it's one of the Godhead. And he says, the called of Jesus Christ. And so tonight, even though at first you may think, well, that's a strange thing. Why are we studying this night? Because it's a part, it's such an important part of what the Lord is calling us to be. We live in a time where people will quickly throw out the phrase, oh, I'm called to do this, or I think God has called me to do this. And what they're trying to do when they say that is they're trying to say, I can tell you what the providence of God is. And we've talked in times past. That's a very risky proposition when you go to speak for God. But listen, there is a way in which we can use the words, the called, where we can know for sure what is meant by that because God tells us what he means when he refers to the called of Jesus Christ or the called of God. And so let's take a few minutes and look at that. Now, this is not the reason we're studying this tonight, but if we can accomplish this at the same time, why not throw it out and benefit from this as well? So I'll throw it out now and really won't say a lot about it along the way, but as we study, you can deal with this too in your mind. We can pull out creed books from denominations and we can read teachings from some denominations that would say that the called or the elect are the chosen of God or predestined. And they are talking about individuals that are predestined. And in their creed books, they will go ahead and they will talk about how some angels and some human beings have been predestined, destined, you understand what that means, pre means before time, before time they were predestined to spend an eternity condemned from God. No matter what they do, it's been predestined. And other angels and other human beings have been predestined that they will spend an eternity with God. It doesn't matter what they do. And many times today, when the words that of predestination are the elect, many times among our religious neighbors, that's what they're talking about. So tonight, as we study this, just simply studying the truth of what the Word of God says, it'll help us also to understand that never in the Scriptures does it ever speak of an individual being predestined. Never is an individual elected or chosen by God in a predestined way. You see, the predestined, the called out, is always a part of God's redemptive plan of whom he is speaking about. And so we can see that along the way, and hopefully that'll be beneficial. If you would look here in Romans, the first chapter, Romans, the first chapter, we're going to read the first few verses to get down 
22, verse 6. You see there as you glance down at 6, it's at the end of a, a sentence there, or near the end of a sentence. It says, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. But how did we get there? Well, Paul wrote it. Back in verse 1, he identified himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, we'll see in a minute how that bondservant links to Christ being his Lord. But notice, even here, he will say two other ways about being called. He'll say that as a bondservant in Jesus Christ, he was called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God. Isn't that interesting? He's noting the fact that his apostleship, and he's going to clarify this in just a minute, that his apostleship wasn't something he brought upon himself. It was something that God called him to do. And that the way that he came into this relationship with God was that the gospel separated him. Now, a lot of time we talk about that, and the scriptures talks about that, is sanctification. In other words, when one is living in the midst of the world and they obey the gospel, they are called to leave the world and to become a part of of the called out. And so it is obeying the gospel that calls us out. And we'll see that even greater as we study in just a few moments. Now, I know, that, you know, if, if you're like, hey, my memory's not that long, I get it. But if you remember back a few weeks ago on the Sunday morning of the 12 questions campaign, we studied the first verse of the New Testament. And then we turned and we studied the last verse of the New Testament. Really the first two verses and the last two verses. And in that, what we saw was an introduction of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ fulfilled old covenant prophecy and how when he came to this earth, he was God on earth, deity, incarnated, becoming flesh as well. And in that, because he fulfilled that, he was the Messiah, and you remember we looked and read the end of Revelation and what he needs to become is our Lord. Now it's real interesting that Paul opens up the book of Romans making every one of those same points. And so let's see how he does it. Look in verse 2. He's going to talk about that he fulfilled old covenant prophecy that Christ did. Verse 2, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So see... This Jesus that he's going to talk about in just a minute was promised through the Old Covenant. Verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus. So see, his son points to deity. Jesus is the name for the, the, the flesh taking on humanity. Christ is the glorified name. And then what did he become to Paul and to those who are part of the called? He had become our Lord. And isn't that amazing? And so at the end of verse 2, uh, at the end of verse 3, he points to the fleshly aspect of Jesus when he says, who is born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And we looked at that a few weeks ago in Matthew 1 and uh, 1 in verse 2 also. But then in verse 4, he continues this same sentence by saying, and, and he goes into the deity of Jesus, and declared to be the Son of God with now, let's pause for just a moment. And I hesitate to give you this illustration because I do not want to sound blasphemous. But what if I stood before you tonight and say, I hesitate. I've thought through this, so I'm going to go ahead and do it, okay? Uh, but I don't mean to be offensive at all. What if I stood before you tonight and I said, you've known me for a good while. I'm, you know me as a preacher or a teacher. You know me to some degree as a man. But I feel like that I really need to go ahead and reveal to you tonight I'm God. You know, there wouldn't be one person in this room that would say, maybe... Maybe he is. But what if you realized, okay, I don't believe that he is, 
But he really believes it. And so then if I kind of confronted you about it, what you would probably say, either you would try to check me into a place or you would say, okay, prove to us that you're God. Do you realize that in a sense that's what Jesus had to work with? They knew Jesus as a son that was born in Bethlehem. His parents raised him in Nazareth. He was a carpenter's son. That's the way they knew Jesus. They knew Jesus as one who preached, who taught. But then he started speaking about himself as more than just a preacher or teacher. And even after he died and ascended, the apostles went and they didn't just preach about a good man named Jesus. They preached about God in flesh, Jesus, the Messiah. And it doesn't matter if it's Jesus himself defending this or if it were the apostles in the first century or you and I today. When someone says, I want to know, how can you know that Jesus is the Son of God? The most frequent response over and over and over. You can start with the book of Acts and you just can't get away from the topic. You can go for the rest of the new covenant get away from the topic. And what he says over and over is, look at the resurrection. And that proves that he is the Son of God. And that's what Paul does immediately right here. Look at verse 4. He's declared. You see what Paul is saying? And by the way, the word declared in its root goes back to the idea of boundaries. And in that what it means is, you know, when, when you're declaring something, the idea is you're clear on it. I can clearly, I've got boundaries in it. I can clearly tell you something. That's the word Paul uses. He says, I am right. Now what's he doing? He's introducing a book of Romans. And what's he doing in this epistle of Romans? He's saying, I want to tell you what I am declaring. I can clearly state this to you. Jesus is God. And I can prove it by the resurrection. That's how the rest of this verse reads. Look there in verse 3. And the rest of verse 4, it's going to be with power. That proof is going to be with power. The Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. There's another witness that's involved in this. How? What's the power? By the resurrection from the dead. Now, he then states more of his purpose for writing. Look at verse 5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship. Now pause there for a moment. If you're going to write an authoritative writing, you better be able to prove that you have the authority and power to write an authoritative writing. And that's why he pauses one more time before he gets into his epistle of Romans. And that's what he's doing right here. He's saying, listen, we've been called. He's saying, I, the apostles, we've been called. And, and notice where that calling came from in five. Through him. And when you read Galatians 1, if you have any reason you want to study this further, Galatians 1, he clearly describes again, my calling to be an apostle wasn't I ordained myself an apostle. And in Galatians 1, he even makes it very clear, nobody on earth. I didn't go back to Jerusalem and they didn't declare me an apostle. And see, that's what he's saying here, even though he doesn't use that many words. What he's saying is, the only reason that I'm an apostle is because him. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ called me to be an apostle. I've got the authority to write this. And what's neat is he goes ahead and throws in the beautiful topic of grace. 
The only reason I have grace, because keep in mind, he realizes, remember he calls himself chief among sinners? He realizes he doesn't deserve to have the opportunity to be an apostle. If it were not for the grace of God, he would not have the opportunity to serve in ministry the way he does. And all of us can say the very same thing. If it were not for the grace of God, we wouldn't have the opportunity to be Christians. We wouldn't have the opportunity to say, I want to do kingdom work. It's only by the grace of God that we deserve that. And so that's what he's getting at here when he says, by the grace and, and by and, and apostleship. But now notice this, this next phrase is huge to the understanding of an appreciation for this epistle of Romans. Notice he says, grace and apostleship, what? For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. I want to pause there for a minute. Paul, what are you talking about? Grace, apostleship, me going out into all nations. That sounds like the Great Commission, doesn't it? Taking the gospel. See, he's already talked about in verse 1, the gospel, and, and going out into all nations. He links all this together with the phrase of obedience of faith. Anytime somebody tries to talk with you about faith without action, faith without obedience, they're not talking about anything that God talks about. Some even try to prove that from the book of Romans, and yet that's how the book of Romans begins. Now, some of you will know this just from hearing me preach. You know that I love finding bookends in passages. Because when a writer at the beginning of a passage says, let me tell you what's on my mind, and then he writes, and then at the end he says, see, I just told you what was on my mind, and here it is again. Hold your finger right here and turn over to the very end of Romans. This is, to me, this is awesome. It, it lets us know that Paul had this on his mind. I know he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But look, look over here in Romans, the 16th chapter. It'll be page 1012 in the Bible that's in your pew there, 1012. Notice what he says here. We, I can go, we can go ahead and just see a few other parts of the bookends. It's very similar to the beginning, starting at 25. But what we especially want to see is the end of 26. But let's go ahead and see some of the other ones. Look at 25 and notice how this sounds so much like the, the, the beginning of this book. Now to him who is able to establish you according to what? My gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now we know that when Paul preached Jesus, he preached the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That was the gospel. That's what's meant by that term, the gospel. And so he says, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by what? The prophetic scripture made known to all nations. You see what he's saying? It's all because of Jesus Christ, the one that the old covenant prophesied, and he has fulfilled that. See, it's just like it began. And then it's according to the commandment of the everlasting God. What? For obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. You want that relationship with God. You want that relationship with God through the gospel. He says, you're going to have to have it through obedience in the faith. Do you have faith? And is it faith that will move you into action? Do you have obedient faith? That's how the book begins. He talks about the system of redemption and the how Jesus and God the Father and Christ the Spirit saved us. And then he closes with that same response. In other words, 
as we read this very next line, going back here to Romans 1 and, and, ch and chapter 1 again, we just read through verse 5 just a moment ago. But that's not the end of the sentence. Look at verse 6 again. This is what we're talking about. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Now, do note this, that the word called is used different ways even in the New Testament. So the way we're studying this word tonight, of course, is in the context in which it's written. There's other times that the word called is not used in the sense that it's talking about the called out people of Jesus Christ that are Jesus' uh, elect. They are his chosen. They are the ones predestined. This group, not the individuals, this group. There are times that the word called does not mean this group. So you got to look in the context and see what it is. But now we need to say this about this context. Paul uses the word called here to speak to those who have Listen to the call from God. God's made the call. One example we see in scriptures when Jesus says, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. What's Jesus doing there? He's giving an invitation. He's giving a call. That's what, that's what a call is. It's an invitation. But he always implies in this context in Romans, he's implying that the called are those that not only received the invitation, but they responded to the invitation. That's the way it's used here. So in other words, God has done his part to call and the individuals that are part of the called have done their part in responding to the call. Let's go back just a moment to the idea of individual predestination. Individual predestination will say God does everything and man does nothing. It's all on God. He, he's the one, when it comes to the call, it's all on him. He's done it all. There's nothing I can do. If he has predestined me to be saved, I'm going to be saved no matter what. And if he's predestined me to be lost, I'm going to be lost no matter what. I was born that way. That's, that's the idea of the way the call is used there. Now, what we've got to be careful is sometimes we swing way to the other side. And we say, no. Now, we probably wouldn't verbalize this, but we act this way sometimes. No, it's nothing God. It's nothing God. It's all man. It's all man. It's all on us. And listen, that's just not right either. And that's why the book of Romans is a beautiful study for us because every page he's showing us what God has done and is doing and how man should respond and work together with God. And that is the beauty of the book of Romans. And so when he talks about the called here, it's not just, hey, God's done it all and there's nothing you can do. And yet it's also not, well, it's all you. It's a beautiful invitation that God gives that we need to accept to form that relationship with God because the sins have been forgiven and we are at one and at peace with God. So what can we learn about this? I tell you what we're, we're going to do, and you can thank me afterwards for this, okay? We're going to make this a two-part sermon. 
Because I figure you don't want to go over the other four passages that we need to really give this justice. And this is, we've, we've gone too far at this point to just rush it in, in literally five minutes. What really, we'd all have a much greater understanding and appreciation, I would hope, if we spent another 20 or 30 minutes on this. And so, let's come back together next Sunday night and let's do this. But let, let's go to one more passage in Romans that deals with this. And, and let's close, and then I'll go ahead and tell you, next Sunday night, we'll come back together again and we'll close with the very same passage. We'll give a brief introduction to this. We'll see how the other passages deal with the word the called or predestined or chosen, and then we'll come back and end at this very same place. Let's close tonight with Romans the 8th chapter. Romans the 8th chapter. Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for good for those that love God. And I want to pause right there for just a moment. You've heard me say this before probably. We've got to be very careful knowing that phrase, the part of it I've just read, and we're with friends that are not children of God, and they go through a difficult time, and obviously we want to comfort them, and we say, well, you know, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. Well, there's more to that. Notice this promise. This promise isn't made to just anyone. This promise is made to only those who, let's read the rest of it, who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Next Sunday night, hopefully we'll come back and let the scriptures do a good job of teaching us what is it to be the called. Because we've just read one promise that's not made to anyone else on this earth. Those that are not a part of the called, they can have tragedies that happen to their life and nothing good will come out of it. Those that are the called can have a tragedy come in their life and God says, I'll make you a promise. I'll make you a promise that something good can come out of this. That's beautiful. So who's that too? It's to those who love the Lord, called according to his purpose. And that's an interesting idea. His purpose. Now, let's go ahead and, and we're going to read 29 and 30 and we'll just extend the invitation out of 29 and next week we'll talk about these a little more. Look at 29 and 30 though. For whom he foreknew, see we're looking at predestination here, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And, and we'll put that next verse in its context next week. I mean, that verse in its context next week. But let's back up and let's think about this in 29. What are we predestined to do? If we're part of the called, the called has a plan by God. What is that plan? Did you see it there in the middle of 29? He also predestined to what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. Before God said, let there be light, God predestined a plan. And the called were going to be the ones that would be saved and that would live not for the earth, the called would be the ones that would live for the glorious return of the Lord. 
And then he gives us this little piece of insight. It was predestined. You say, well, how are the called going to live on this earth? And it was predestined. They're going to live on this earth conforming, being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You remember the word image in Greek is icon. Just like we use it today in English, icon. You and I are to be an icon of Jesus if we're part of the called because that was God's predestination before the beginning of time. So when we say, and please get this, please don't gloss over this because I do it and I hear you sometime doing it where in serious talk we say things like this, I just want to know God's purpose for me in my life. I, I, just, I just want to know what is God's purpose. He just said it. He just talked about in 28 his will or his purpose. And then in 29 he says, this is my purpose for you. Before time began, I predestined that you would spend your life being shaped, being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Do I look more like Jesus this year than I did last year? And if so, I'm fulfilling the will of God in what He predestined before I was ever born. Am I going to look more like Jesus if the Lord gives me time and I live another year? Am I going to look more like the image of Jesus next year than this year? If so, I fulfilled the purpose of, of this predestined plan of God where God says, I want you to be in the image of my son. So we go to work tomorrow. And what's God want us to be? He says, just look like my son. Think like him. Talk like him. Love people the way he does. Love the way he does. Deal with difficulties the way he does. You go to school tomorrow and you say, I, I, I want to be, I want to be what God wants me to be. What does he want us to be? Be in the image of his son. Be not only a light, but remember the light is a reflection of the light, Jesus. Be the best you can be of being Jesus in your family, in your school, in your workplace. I know this week and next week we'll have a lot of young people going off to college. I want to beg you, do not look at this semester of, oh, I hope I can survive spiritually. You set your mark on the fact that I'm going to come out in Christmas break and I'm going to look more like the image of Jesus at Christmas break than I even look like the image of Jesus right now. God's not looking for us to just survive. God has predestined a way for us to grow and to be conformed into His image. That's His predestination for us. He won't force us. It's the call... And we either accept the invitation or we reject the invitation. But if you say, I accept this invitation, you're saying, I want to reflect Jesus every day of my life. That's what I'm called to be. And we'll study more about all of that next week. But as we're about to sing a song of encouragement, can we help you? Is there anything we can encourage you to do to 
to look more like Jesus, to live closer to Him. To Maybe there's sin that, that you need to repent of. Maybe you've never been baptized into Christ and we'd love to assist you with that. Maybe you've been a Christian, but along the way you, you haven't looked a lot like Jesus lately. If, if you're ready to turn away from that and start living for the Lord again, you want to pray forgiveness, we'd love to pray with you. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand.